your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 593 of the Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Piller, up in the beautiful Blue Mountains. Ross Levitan still away on vacation somewhere in Croatia these days, but he will be joining me in our interview with the athletic Scott Wheeler. We went about 40 minutes with Scott Wheeler, so it's a great chat with him. We talk about Jake Sanderson, Owen Beck, Ty Nelson, Joachim Kamel, some goalies even, so definitely stick around for that chat and Nick Paul he does it all including getting a big new contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Ottawa Senators finally make some moves in their front office with two newly named assistant general managers we gotta let you know though that this show is brought to you by betonline.net betonline.net has you covered this season with more props odds and lines than ever before betonline where the game starts and now the show starts here we go Today is Monday, July 4th. Happy 4th of July to all our American listeners and viewers out there and thank you for making the Locked On Senators podcast your first listen or watch of the day. You can get us on any podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're also on YouTube. So if you want to support the show, guys, please give us a quick thumbs up, quick like, subscribe, be a friend, tell a friend about the Locked On Senators YouTube page. And we are almost at 50. No, we're past actually 15,000 views for our mock draft video. If you haven't checked that out yet, you got to check it out. It's a four hour long podcast where we have lots of guests on making their picks. We do about five picks each guest and one of those guests, Scott Wheeler, uh, uh, our interview for today. And so we go about 40 minutes with Scott in today's episode. So definitely stick around for that chat. But before we get to our interview, some big news around the league and Sens fans, we all still love Nick Paul. He was close to hoisting the Stanley Cup, so close. It would have been great to see a former senator like him get it, uh, even though he was only so shortly removed from the Ottawa Senators. A lot of people, myself included, were still cheering for the guy. And he's one of those players that the Ottawa Senators, as the trade deadline started uh, creeping up, they offered him a contract extension just a little bit over $10 million for four years was the uh, rumored rumored contract offer. I think it was about $2.6 per year for four years. And Nick Paul said, hey, that's a nice offer, but I believe I'm worth more. And the Ottawa Center said, okay, we're going to move on. They traded for Matthew Joseph and a fourth-round pick in exchange for Nick Paul the Lightning. And now Nick Paul gets a massive deal, seven-year deal, with an AAV of $3.125 million. So a little over half a million more per year than what the Ottawa Centers offered. Now, 
when you look at, okay, what does that money do in Tampa Bay, a tax-friendly state like Florida versus where how far it'll take you in Ottawa? Definitely makes a big difference. Getting to live in Tampa Bay year-round, not bad. And a team that's been to three consecutive Stanley Cup finals, winning back-to-back before losing this year ultimately to the Colorado Avalanche. It's not a bad uh, change around for Nick Paul. So what I want to know is if the Ottawa Senators had offered Nick Paul a similar contract, so let's say se- seven-year deal worth 3.2 AAV, would that have been something that Sens fans would have been interested in? Leave your comment below on our YouTube video or let us know at Sens Central on Twitter. Personally, for me, I think it's it's unfortunate that uh, the Ottawa Senators weren't able to hold on to Nick Paul, but getting Matthew Joseph and a fourth-round pick in return was a pretty good uh, exchange for the Ottawa Senators, and I'm not so sure they would have been able to work out a deal like this anyways. It seemed like the longest the Sens were willing to go was four years, and they weren't going to go above $3 million, I don't think. So it probably wouldn't have happened. And when you start looking at uh, the details of Nick Paul's contract in Tampa Bay, for the first one, two, three, four years, there's a no-trade clause. Sends don't really hand out no-trade clauses. And then for the remaining years, there's a no-move, no-trade clause attached to that as well. And then... The signing bonuses. Nick Paul did very well with the signing bonuses in this contract. I mean, he's already gotten $3.4 million in signing bonuses. So, And then there's a $2 million signing bonus. No signing bonus for 2024 to 2026. But then three more years of $1 million signing bonuses happening uh, each year. So probably not going to get anywhere close to that kind of contract, especially seven years with no trade clauses and bonuses attached to it. That is not the Senator's way of doing business. So I don't think it would have worked out. And I think both parties are better uh, that they've each moved on and they've each kind of found new, new homes, Matthew Joseph in Ottawa and Nick Paul in Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay had to move Ryan McDonough's contract just to afford Nick Paul. And they got a pretty low return just, um, Philippe Myers and uh, Nodak, uh, former Nodak player Grant Mismatch, Mismatch, sorry, uh, was a part of that deal as well. So that's a very interesting move for Tampa. But when you're up against the cap like that, you got to make tough decisions. I don't think the players were too stoked about that. But Ryan McDonough, he's going to look like an absolute stud on the back end of the Nashville Predators. So that's a good move for the Predators, if you ask me. And Tampa. Not much they could really do there, especially when they're looking to extend Nick Paul in a long-term deal like this. So, guys, like I mentioned, please leave a comment below if you think that uh, the deal that Nick Paul got with the Tampa Bay Lightning, if the Senators were to do something similar to that. Now, I know they wouldn't have done the no-move clauses, the signing bonuses, etc. But if it was something similar, would that have been something you're interested in? Or are you happy they parted ways and you're stoked about Matthew Joseph, who still needs a contract, an RFA, another RFA in the Ottawa Senators organization that is yet to be extended or re-signed. So Pierre Dorian, he's going to have to get get things going here. That's for sure if he wants to, this to be a successful summer. And remember, he said in May, don't judge this team after the trade deadline. Don't judge it after the draft. You can make your judgments of how this roster looks in September when training camp rolls around. So 
We're going to give Pierre Dorian a little bit more time here, but he's got to get some more things other than just signing Dylan Gambrell to a one-year extension done on his list for us to feel good about that. But if you want to feel good about your sports gambling, then you have to go to the number one trusted online sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network, and that's Bet online.net guys hockey may be over basketball may be over but there's still lots of action going on and from all the latest odds totals player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land if you're doing any sports betting betonline.net is your number one spot it remains the best spot for all your sports scores podcasts news and updates this season it's not just hockey, guys. Even though we're a hockey podcast, Bet Online does more. They do baseball, golf, boxing, UFC, and football is coming around the corner here. So get ready for that. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. It's betonline.net where the game starts. All right. And like I mentioned off the top of the show, We do have a great interview with Scott Wheeler coming up here, so I'm going to lead us into that. It starts off with uh, a little bit of Jake Sanderson uh, revisiting, as Scott does does let us know that that was one of the players that he missed on, and Sens fans were very quick and very loud to let Scott know that they did not agree with his evaluation of where Jake Sanderson uh, ranked in his draft rankings and what his future will look like, and Scott Wheeler is a great guy. We knew he if he came on the show, we could talk about it with him. And he wanted to clear the air that, look, hey, you're not always going to be right about every prospect. And that's fair. That happens. There's a lot of guys that uh, even Ross and I, in our short time of uh, profiling prospects and ranking them and seeing uh, where we think they'll project, we've been wrong a lot as well. So, And when you're in the public eye like Scott Wheeler is, it gets magnified a little bit. So sense fans... This is definitely a time to uh, let go of the Jake Sanderson uh, anger you had towards Scott Wheeler because he fully uh, fully reflects on maybe he could have done things a little bit differently in his evaluation. And, and that's fine. Everyone's growing as uh, the scouting and each year drafts change and you get more information on prospects. So definitely stick uh, around for that part of the chat. We get into who he likes at number seven. Overall, if the Sens do indeed decide to keep that pick, Joachim Kamel is a guy he really focuses in on, or Matthew Savoy is another option that Wheeler liked. He talks about Ross's guy, Owen Beck. He talks about my guy, Ty Nelson. And we're a hashtag goalie-friendly show. We didn't get to profile a single goalie in our top 64 ranks. It was wild that that didn't happen. So we asked Scott Wheeler all about the goalies in this draft. So without further ado, guys, let's get to our interview with The Athletic's Scott Wheeler. All right, we now welcome on a very, very special guest back to Locked On Senators, his first appearance in the YouTube era. Wow, we'll get into why that is. We got some apologies to give our next guest. He's a national reporter and draft analyst with The Athletic. It's Scott Wheeler. Scott, I feel like the WWE heel music should be playing right now, but we appreciate you coming back on the show. Yeah, am I behind enemy lines at this point? Where are we at on on, on Jake Sanderson and all of that? I think we're feeling good because, you know, we've been doing this to obviously a lesser extent than you, but 
I think we've been wrong about 85% more than we've been right. So that to say it's, it's a job where everything changes in an instant. I remember when Brad Lambert was going to be the first overall pick this yeah. year. And now we're talking whether or not he's going to be a first, uh, first round pick, let alone first overall. So I see now just from uh, an outsider's view in, Things can change in an instant. And you saw that even with Jake Sanderson, because obviously that's the one we like to poke at you. He came climbing up the rankings after hockey ended coming into the pandemic. So it just shows you. So I think we're on a good track. We still might have some beef with you about the 2021 draft. We'll let that simmer a little bit further. I know that your famous quote was, I'd be shocked if they get an NHLer out of day two. We like what we've seen from Zach Austin, Chuck. I think otherwise you've got a pretty solid footing to stand on still. But I think that, as you said, water under the bridge will pull you up onto the raft. And your content, I mean, you pump out more than anybody else. And it's so in-depth. So we appreciate you coming on because, as you know, and as we're hoping, this might be the last time the Sens are drafting in the top 10, if they even keep the pick, as we're hoping this rebuild goes in the next step. But what's your overall impression on this on this draft as well? Well, first of all, just on Jake Sanderson, yes, let's, please. let's get let's get it in audio form, just like we've got it in written form now. That that was a miss for me. Uh, I was too low on him. I had him in the teens on my board. I felt that he belonged in the top ten conversation, but I didn't like him in the top five conversation. And two or three years later, now he 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 belongs. So uh, so so let's let's put you on the spot. Where is he right now? If you do a redraft, and it's hard because he hasn't played an NHL game yet, but neither have <laughs> a lot of the guys in that mix. Still probably not uh, not my pick there. If I were to reorder it, he's still maybe a couple of spots lower than that, but he's in the, the six, seven, eight for sure. Um, and, and maybe he belongs at five for me. I'd have to really sit down and, and mine through it and think about it, but he's definitely not 15, 16, 18, where I kind of had him down the stretch. So he's closer to where they, much closer to where they picked him than where, uh, where I ultimately landed on him. And that's a testament to a job well done by the Sense Scout. He, they're going to have no regrets about that pick whatsoever at this point. He, health permitting with his hand and everything, uh, he's going to be a stud maybe as early as next year. So he looks, you see he looks like the real wearing? deal. Crazy. Yeah, my understanding is that the cast that he was wearing in that picture that went viral of him, my understanding is that that he wasn't act he wasn't actually wearing that as his like everyday cast. It was, was like a water cast. That. Yes, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> floaties. Uh, not to be alarmed. He his hand wasn't completely mangled. Uh, not to be alarmed. No, he he's he'll he'll be fine. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think he, he even if he doesn't become a true sort of number one, he's going to be a top pairing minute eating guy. And I thought when they picked him that he was going to be closer to a sort of number three, number four uh, quality guy rather than a true sort of star echelon guy. So credit to him and his development since then and credit to what they saw in him. He was a young player in that draft. He was great in the second half and became a star of that team and obviously was a star that year specifically at the All-American Top Prospects game that BioSteel hosts uh, down there. And I just didn't catch up I didn't catch up fast enough and move him up fast enough. And that's been a problem with a couple of players that I've missed on Moritz Sider, same boat. I, I, I grew to really like Moritz late in that year, but I didn't give his DEL playoffs and his world championships that year enough credit. And as a result, he was another guy who was kind of in the teens, twenties on my final list uh, and who I was critical of when, when Detroit picked him. And now, I mean, we know who Moritz Sider is. That miss for me was probably even bigger than the Jake Sanderson one. So it's uh those those two though for sure those two are my 
I've, I've been doing this for nine years now. And those two are, are the ones I've got to live with. Yeah. And I mean, it, it happens, right? Like you're, when you do this for so long, you're going to hit some home runs and you're going to have some misses too. So we can, uh, we can move past that and keep it in the past, but uh, Hey, Ross and I, we always say we love getting mad at lists. So even though we didn't agree with you, we had a lot of great content getting mad at your list there. <laughs> yeah, so we I appreciate mean, they, that. that that's, a, that's a piece of what this is about too. I'm not here to shock track anyone, but certainly I'm here to stand firm on, on what I believe and trust myself and the time that I put in. And I think going about it that way is better than some of the hive mind that can develop in the public sphere in particular. I think people would be stunned to see how different NHL clubs' lists are from the ones yeah. that exist in public, right? So it's uh, it, it's it's a very difficult thing. I mean, there's that cliche about imperfect science, but it, it's a difficult, difficult uh, thing, especially in hockey where the game is so fluid. Uh, I mean, I, I write about this all the time, but in baseball, how hard a pitcher throws the ball is is the X's and O's, right? And the X's and O's of basketball nowadays is wingspan and what wingspan means for a player's ability to defend and rebound and defend multiple positions as basketball changes and uh, 40 yard dashes really do matter in football in, in hockey that these things like the combine and it's just, it, 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 you can't boil it down that simply in hockey. So it, it makes scouting, uh, I would argue a much more difficult job. So uh, yeah, it's, it's complicated. Anyways, the, the 2022 class, All right. my overall perspective <laughs> is that I'm, I'm higher on it now than I was at the start of the year. I think that's been a natural process for a lot of scouts. A lot of folks I talked to, there was just a, a developing and a, a sort of fondness that grew for this draft class. And the big reason for that is that so many of these kids didn't play last year or played half seasons. And it just took people a little bit longer this year to build out their list, get comfortable with the draft. And then suddenly everybody went from feeling like it was maybe a weaker draft. And many still do feel like that, but people I think started to appreciate the depth in this group more. I, I think there is a consensus that the top end of this draft, uh, this is not maybe the year to be drafting first, second, third overall kind of thing. It's just not a great, great group at the very top, but there is real depth. And my list, I think that was reflected. I, my list typically drops off at 10 and then early twenties. Those are what a typical scale looks like in a draft class. And this year it was kind of 11, 12 and then late twenties. Like I had 28 players, on my list, uh, which broke as broken down in the tiers that I use, I had 28 players that I was pretty excited about in this group. And that's, that's six or seven more than usual. So that I think speaks even, even deeper down my, my list really dropped off at 90. Typically it drops off at 80. Uh, so you've got 10 players further, further down that I was, I start to, to, to like, so, um, yeah, uh, not a great draft. Obviously, there, there's no McDavid. There's no Bedard. This is not 2015. This is not what next year's draft is going to be. 2023 is going to be special. Uh, but I, I, I'd say it's about average. I, I'm not disappointed or upset with, with this group of players by any stretch either. Yeah, and that seems to be the consensus by most people is there's not those um, generational talents, but there's a lot of good talent spread throughout the draft. And uh, you touched on some of the guys uh, in the OHL specifically that now this was their rookie season when they should have had two seasons under their belt. Mm -hmm. Just how much does that affect these prospects? Like this must be so weird for for scouts, uh, reporters, people that cover the draft to have to look at and appreciate, hey, 
these guys missed a full season of development, over 60 games that they just didn't play. For the first time in probably a lot of these prospects' lives, they went a full year without playing hockey. Like, just how much did that impact uh, OHL guys specifically? It was difficult. Uh, the, the, particularly the OHL guys and the kids who played in Sweden. People forget that the J20 League shut down really early. And then hey, we had a yeah. lot of kids playing in the third-tier Hockey Etten League over there last season because it was the only place that they could play and they weren't quite talented enough or quite far along enough in their, in their development to play at Hockey Alsvenskan or the SHL. So the result was you had a lot of kids, 16, 17 year old kids playing in a third rung pro league. That's very difficult to evaluate over there or not playing at all when the J20 league shut down in the fall. So um, that piece of it in Sweden and in the OHL, it's real. Uh, The OHL in particular, that 16 year old season is a transitional year. Everybody in hockey and in scouting recognizes that that first year where you go from minor hockey to the junior level, where you're playing against 20 year olds, in some cases, 21 year olds, it's a big jump. You're trying to get yourself adjusted to living with a billet family, to living on your own, to living away from your family, to a new coach, to systems. I mean, minor hockey teams, credit to these AAA clubs, they, they really, a lot of them have sort of pro feels to them now, but it, there's still a big adjustment in terms of tactics, systems, deployment, special teams, all of that that happens. So there's a long list of things that they get out of the way a learning curve that they get out of the way in that 16 year old season. And these kids just didn't have it. We had two rookie classes entering the OHL at the exact same time, two separate age groups who were coming in simultaneously and it created sporadic hockey. I mean, there were, I, I, this is just anecdotal. I don't, I haven't actually crunched the numbers, but I would guess that there were more of those sort of infamous nine, six, nine, seven games that we all laugh about in the OHL this year than, than typical just because everybody was sort of figuring it out. Uh, and coaches were figuring out who their good players were and all of that. So uh, it was a tricky year. And and a lot of the kids, you can see it in a lot of the OHLers this season, they really came on in the second half. You had yes. David Goyette, you had these kids who really sort of came to life in the second half. And I think part of that was just what that that sort of October to December stretch looked like before the Christmas break. It was just a challenge uh, and everybody was figuring each other out. So uh, yeah, definitely something that's in the back of, of scouts' minds this year. So before we move off the OHL, we've been doing prospect profiles and giving a five-star review of how they'd fit with the Senators. And I have Owen Beck as a four-and-a-half, five-star guy for Ottawa. I think he's awesome. Could be a, as much of a second-liner, but also a safe pick. What's your analysis on, on Owen Beck, what he brings? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the Sens have their type, right? They want the hardworking, diligent 200-foot player who's uh, maybe a little bit more athletically advanced. They like the kids who are sort of muscular and and have beefed up already. Uh, and Beck, Beck checks all those boxes. He's a very athletic kid. He's a fabulous skater. He pushes tempo. He plays fast. He's involved. Uh, just one of those kids who's always around it. And the, and the, the Sens, for good reason, like those types of players. So yeah, definitely Owen feels like a Senators type pick. There are a lot of, uh, actually, uh, yeah, a lot of guys in this draft who do kind of feel like that. Uh, but I I like Owen for the Sens as a, a potential sort of second round guy, that kind of range. Um, he, he, he's, he's got third line, third line center kind of written all over him. Right. And, they, they want to build a team that's full of guys who play that, that style that he plays. And he, he, that sort of cliche pro game, right? He plays a, a pro game and, and they're drawn to that, no question. 
Yeah, last time I gave a prospect five stars to go in 39th or 42nd, they took him at uh, 10. So hopefully this is a more of a second round pick for the Ottawa Senators there in Owen Beck. But everyone has their favorites every year. I know that in years past, you've been vocal about who you like. But what about this mm-hmm. year? I mean, you're pretty high on Matthew Savoy, I think, compared to most. Is he a favorite of yours in this draft? Yeah, Matt definitely fits that bill. I think Matt belongs right in that top five conversation that has really solidified for other players. I mean, Logan Cooley, Yuri Slavkovsky, Shane Wright, I expect that those three are going to go in some order, one, two, three. And then the two D have really, really strengthened their cases over the course of this year. I think you'll see one of Simon Nemitz and David Yurichek almost certainly go to the Seattle Kraken at number four uh, after they took Matty Beniers a year ago. And then five, you could st- you could see that whoever's left go. So that 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 group of five players has really become the consensus for most scouts. Uh, I'm actually right before we hopped on this call, I was doing my annual scout survey, and just this morning was my morning to just send out texts to people and, and get responses back, so I can start to fill my my WordPress document here and, and get that ready for my editor. And uh, just those five really do feel like in talking to people, those five really do feel strong. But I think if, if there were a player who belongs in that group in this draft class, it is Savoy for me. Uh, I think Savoy is fabulous. He's got a motor. He, I, frankly, I think that he could be a real option for the Sens. And I wrote this in my mock draft, but I think he deserves to be a real option for the Sens at seven. And I think he's a player that they will really like. Um, as, a, as someone who lives in Winnipeg, I'm all for it. And I've got my reservations with the other Winnipeg ice here available. So unless yeah. I'm waiting for, unless I'm waiting for Benson next year, I think Savoy would be a, a more solid pick. Yeah, but he's, I mean, he's got the skating, the skill, he's hes dynamic. He's one of the very best skaters in this draft. I spoke with James Patrick, their head coach last week about him. And the first thing Patrick said is first three steps, nobody in this draft is is quicker from a standstill than Matt Savoy. Uh, so he's got that, the the skating, the shooting, the, the sort of dynamic quality that his older brother Carter always has. He's got that. And then on top of that, he's got what Carter didn't have at the same age, which was that, that sort of dogged work ethic. It's, it's almost ironic that his older brother was perceived to be this sort of lazy, one-dimensional, um, sort of cheating kind of player. And Savoy is the energizer bunny. He's finishing all of his checks. He's after it on the four check. He, they love him on the back check there. They used him on the penalty kill. Um, so that piece of the puzzle is there too. And that's exciting. I think the, literally the only thing that Matt Savoy doesn't have is he's five foot nine, five foot 10. Right. And those guys, especially if, if the team that's drafting him feels like he's going to be a winger instead of a center. Uh, interestingly enough, Patrick was very insistent with me that he thinks he's going to be a center. Uh, but if a team wants him to be a winger, those, those sort of wingers, they tend to fall. They tend to be the guys, even if they're a top 10 talent that go 11, 12, 13. Right. Um, so I think there's a chance that happens for Matt, especially after he suffered a shoulder injury at the end of the year. And, was kind of not playing his very best hockey in the playoffs, uh, although he was banged up. Uh, so all of that is is going to enter the conversation, but I, I think he's he's got a chance to be a star, and there aren't many players in this draft class that I feel that way about. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Savoy could be a guy that the Sens target, and in your most recent mock draft, you had the Sens selecting Joachim Kamel at seven, which I've noticed has kind of been a trend. A lot of mock drafts do have Kamel uh, going to the Sens at seven. What makes that such a good fit uh, where where you think, because um, in your mock draft, Savoy was still available for them to select, and you chose to give them Kamel instead? 
Yeah, Joachim's a, another player who just feels like a Sens pick. Uh, of the, there will be three players who look a lot alike who are available in that range. There's those two, and then obviously Jonathan Lekarmaki, who was the star of U18 Worlds and the star of the trio of Drew Gardens players that are all expected to go in the first round this year. Um, Lekarmaki's a pure sort of sniper, and I think would actually be a great pick for the Sens, but just feels less like the kind of player they're drawn to. He's a little bit more one-dimensional. His game is all offense. Uh, really, Yeah, the Sens don't really it. go for that guy, the elite sniper. They've passed on guys like that in the past. Yeah, so Kemel and, and Savoy just feel like better fits that way. Uh, that doesn't mean they don't surprise me and, and go with a player like Lekarmaki, but Kemel is has that quality, that sort of sniper quality. He's a shot threat. That's his bread and butter. That's his game. He likes to attack off the flank and take that sort of mid-range shot uh, and often beats goalies cleanly from mid-range, which is a very difficult thing to do. Um, but on top of that, just plays with a little bit more, not scrappiness. I would call Savoy scrappy. I wouldn't necessarily call Kemmel scrappy, but he plays engaged he's he's involved it, it's maybe it may not be knocking someone over with a a check like Savoy's capable of doing but he's in the mix he's on the four check he's chasing down pucks he stays in battles he's he's a competitive competitive kid so I think he makes a lot of sense as a goal scoring winger who could play with uh Tim Stutzla or a Josh yeah. Norris and sort of compliment them in, in the future in the top six there as they get comfortable with those two guys at center. So um yeah that they I just think that starts to make a lot of sense for Ottawa as uh, a player who's a little bit like the type they they covet but also maybe gives them something that they don't have in that sort of pure shooter. Hundred percent agree with that. And then another guy who was off the board, but who was our pick for the Ottawa Senators in our our first version of the mock draft was Cutter Gauthier. Does he not feel yes. a little bit like Jake Sanderson in terms of the late rise? It felt like he was maybe around twenty, and now, especially since it was announced that he's going to play center at Boston College, that he might be a guy that sneaks his way into that top five, top six conversation. Yes. And more and more, that seems to be the persisting thread when I talk to folks. Uh, he feels more to me like a top 10 guy. And maybe this is a player that I look back on a couple of years from now and see he's another member of that theme that I talked about where I, was, I didn't move him up fast enough. Uh, I think Cutter's a fabulous player, a, a deserving top 10 pick. Uh, but in saying that, I, I would struggle with him in that five, six, seven range where he's, he's starting to go in some of these mock drafts and where he's starting to be discussed by people like Dan Marr, the director of NHL central scouting at the combine. So that he's one of the kids they considered closest to that consensus top three, which means at any, at least at NHL central scouting, they believe he's right there at four, maybe. Um, so there's, there's a, a lot to like about cutter. He's, uh, plays this sort of modern power forward game. They worked really hard. Adam Nightingale and their staff there worked, worked really hard to have him hang on to pucks a little bit more this season, play to his skill set and play to his physicality and his size advantage and his strength. He's a very athletic kid. He performed extremely well in testing at the combine uh, as a few kids on this year's program team do or did. Uh, so there's just, he's, he's viewed as the complete package. He's, Six foot one, six foot two. He's you see him in real life. I've I've spoken with him over the course of this season a few times, and he looks like an NHL player, a lot like Tyler Boucher did and does. Right, uh, just that sort of muscular physique looks like a man already. 
uh, and will will continue to fill out. So uh, that is there. And then he's got the scoring. He's got the he's developed the more of the physicality. And he got to play with Logan Cooley. And I think part of it was Logan Cooley making him look really good. But part of it is th- there's something to be said for people who can play with a player like that and compliment them. And that's exactly what he did. He was the perfect foil for Cooley. And they just became a dynamic duo down the stretch right into U18 Worlds. Uh, and he was a star. He, he really emerged as one of the top players on that team, which wasn't necessarily the case last year. He always played at the top of their lineup. But coming into this season was not perceived in the same uh, sort of group as Isaac Howard or even a Rutger McGrory. He he was just sort of a, a viewed as almost like a B or a B plus piece on that team rather than one of their A guys. And by year's end, I mean there was no question he was an A guy. So that's a credit to him. He and he's he definitely feels like a guy that the Sens would consider at seven. But increasingly, I'm not I'm not sure he's going to be there. Yeah, wild. Well, when you look at the Sens history, I mean, Jake Sanderson, Tyler Boucher, Tyler Clevin, Colin White, even trading for Josh Norris, Brady Kachuk, all U.S. national team (laughs) programs. And even through our top 64, they've been scattered throughout. Is this overall a strong year for the program? Definitely, definitely. The hockey world was stunned when they lost to Sweden in the final there. This felt like one of the years where USA hockey had such a good team that they were going to walk through that tournament. And they usually do walk through that tournament. Canada infamously basically created the Helenka Gretzky cup as a combat to U18 world so that they could delegitimize U18 worlds and, and tell the hockey world that U18 worlds aren't the best on best uh, just because their kids aren't allowed to participate. So it's the same reason you never see the U18 worlds hosted in Canada. It's exclusively hosted in the U S and in Europe. And it's because Hockey Canada doesn't want to to give it that legitimacy. So, uh, but this year in particular felt like one of those years, a lot like the Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcotte, Matt Boldy generation, Jack Hughes generation of players. It just felt like they, and that team coincidentally also lost uh, at U18 Worlds and everybody was shocked by, right? So they were a Shane Pinto away from winning that tournament. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, Shane Pinto would have been a Holinka Gretzky cup member for them. Oh, true. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's complicated uh, with it, just in terms of how things are going to shape up, but uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a very good year. There are at least six or seven forwards out of the national program who could go in the first round. Uh, and then Ryan Chesley, Lane Hudson and Seamus Casey are yep. three, three, at least top two rounds defenders. So uh, it's, it's outside of not having a, a true goalie. Uh, I mean, Dylan Silverstein was hurt at U18 worlds and he's kind of the guy, he was kind of the guy there, uh, but they've got, I mean, Rutger McGordy, Logan Cooley, Cutter uh, Gauthier, Jimmy Snuggerud, you go down the list, Frank Nazar, Isaac Howard. It's a very good group at forward in particular. Can you expand on Rucker McGrory as well? Because from what I'm seeing, he's another guy who just fits the Sens mold. Yep, Rucker is awesome. A big fan. One of my favorite interviews. I was texting with one of the scouts that I was doing the survey with this year that my favorite interviews this year were probably Rucker McGrory and Vincent Rower, who actually coincidentally Six. plays for the Ottawa yep. 67s. Okay. And Rucker is just has that light in his eyes. He's just a joy to talk to. He's got sort of personality oozing out of him. Uh, and not in the same way that that Jack Hughes and Trevor Zegers did at the program, where they were it kind of came off as uh, showy, yeah, <laughs> showy and maybe a little cocky. Rucker's just such a it just seems like such a genuinely good kid, but he also just has that that light and that sort of excitement about him. 
and and teams I think are going to be very drawn to that. And he's another kid where you run into him a lot, like Cutter Gautier, and he is shredded, like he is built. And that's one of the big advantages that they have at the program. All of those kids do extremely well in the combine testing. And it's because they're in the gym with Brian Gallivan, who runs GBN, the gym that works with the program. They are in the gym five, six days a week, all year long, and they do not stop. And uh, yeah, Rucker just, I mean, he looks like a pro already. He's six six one. He's not as tall as Cutter, but uh, just absolutely built, plays that sort of honest 200-foot game, but also has a ton of skill, can really shoot the puck and score. The big concern with Rucker, and the reason he, he'll probably be more of a late teens rather than early teens, or maybe even a 20s pick rather than a teens pick, is because his skating isn't great. He'd be up front. I'm sure he was transparent with that with teams at the combine, uh, but his skating is just, it can look a little sluggish, uh, but everything else about him as a kid and, and him as a player is high end. So uh, another player that I think they, the Sens would have definitely been drawn to. Who's the better skater, McGrory or Geeky? Uh, Rutger. Rutger. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Connor is a better skater than I think he gets credit for. I think because Connor is so blanky and and has so much room to fill out his frame yet it can just kind of look like bambi a little bit yeah. out there but connor and people who've, who've coached i have a story out today on connor but people who've, who've coached connor and worked with connor and and also worked with his brother morgan who obviously plays now for the seattle kraken will tell you that connor is a much better skater at this age than that morgan was and morgan's become an nhler so they'll also tell you he's more talented at this age than morgan was so um yeah i, I think connor will be fine uh, but I, I would say that Rutgers Rucker moves a little bit smoother out there than, than geeky does. Yeah. We're a big fan. Uh, we're big fans of Rucker McGordy on this show. That's for sure. We liked, uh, profiling him now. Um, I'm kind of of the mind Scott for the sense that they should target a forward with the seventh overall pick. There's, there's much better options in that range for, for me, at least it seems that way. And then with the second round, there's so many good defenseman options. Like you mentioned a few of them from the program, Seamus Casey, uh, Ryan Chesley. Um, so which kind of defense prospects would you highlight the sense to look at with that 39th overall pick? Cause there's, there's so many good ones that uh, I really think that's where they should try to capitalize. Well, I think there are a few D that are going to go in the twenties that they're just narrowly going to miss out on there that yeah. they probably would have liked. Uh, I could imagine them liking a Bischel, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the Swiss kid who's six, five and plays a physical game, but can also sort of move the puck and hold his own with the puck on his stick kind of thing. Um, Owen Pickering, really long, smooth skating WHL kid who blew teams away at the combine in his interviews with how personable he was. Uh, Pickering's a kid that I think they like, but those kids just feel like they're going to go in the twenties somewhere. So, uh, after that, it does get interesting. If Chesley is there in the second round, I think they'll like Ryan a lot. <laughs> Ryan just screams Ottawa Senator. He, he, he plays a positional game. He's physical where he needs to be without chasing it. He's a very staunch defensive defender, but he's also got a really hard point shot and plays a, just a smooth head manning. Uh, sort of a very intentional game with the puck, but he's not going to sort of dangle up ice and dance anybody. He just plays an aggressive, confident, poised style. And it just looks like when he's, when he's on the ice, he just looks like he's one of those players who's sort of in command of the game, knows where he needs to be. Everything just sort of happens the way it's supposed to happen. Uh, And I think teams really like him. And then on top of that, great kid, wonderful, wonderful kid who um, just 
is is sort of well right for his well roundedness. So Chesley's a kid that I I think is, will probably be a first rounder, a late first rounder. But if he's available on day two, just feels like feels like a senator. Um, other than that, it's tricky. I some of the D that are going to be there, I don't imagine the Sens being super fond of. Like I I they don't strike me as a team that will love a Seamus Casey or or a Wayne Hudson. Um, that doesn't mean they don't pick. Pilsy's just waiting. Pilsy's waiting for you to say his his boy Ty Nelson here at some point. Well, talk about a thick kid. Oh my god, that I have never met. I'm not kidding. Small but thick. Nine years of doing this, I have never met an 18 year old kid who is built like Ty Nelson. Uh, In in another life, he'd be an Olympic bodybuilder. Like that kid (laughs) is. He, and you can hear it when he's on the ice, like his skates just sink into the ice. It's, it's choppy and aggressive. And uh, he is, he's a, that kid is a unit. And uh, he's got some crazy hairstyles too. He definitely is not shy to uh, try something different with his hair. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he, he, he looks like where he comes from. He's a very blue collar family. He's not a kid yeah. who came from a lot of money. Uh, it sort of carries himself in that way, covered in tattoos. Like he's just one of those sort of, honest, hardworking, very physical because of his size. He's allowed to play a, a pretty physical game despite being 5'9", 5'10". Uh, and I think there are there are some teams that are really going to like that about him. Like he just walks into a room and you're like, holy shit, this kid is is, is huge, right? Um, so yeah, maybe Nelson, that's, that's definitely his range. Nelson's going to be an early day two guy. I don't okay. think he's going to be a first rounder. I get some uh, Joe def- Corvo vibes from him. Yeah, maybe, maybe a yeah, little okay. bit, but... Yeah, just to but just to expand it, yeah, I don't think I don't think Casey Lane Hudson, even um, Luno, who could be there, Tristan Luno of the Gatineau Olympics, right. doesn't strike me as as the type for them. Very hardworking, honest kid, but maybe doesn't have the the sort of confident physical game that they they really desire from their defenders in Ottawa. Uh, maybe a kid like Noah Warren sneaks into that conversation for them. They I spoke with him at the draft, like, right? They posted yeah. on social media yeah. a picture of them. So they know at least they're the chatting with them. But I mean, they probably yeah. talked to 200 kids, Pilsy. So. <laughs> I mean, Warren really, Warren was one of the stories of this draft. He came in as a late rounder and really established himself. And part of that was cool. as people came in to watch Tristan Luno, the former number one pick into the QMJHL, uh, and watch Antonin Barreau, another top pick into the QMJHL previously. They, teams just found themselves liking Warren better uh, than those two kids. And, and that speaks to his, his strength as an athlete, the way that he moves and skates, his length, another really big kid, sort of six, four, six foot five. Um, and it started to show some confidence with the puck and develop that game. But he is, I mean, I spoke with Louis Robitaille about him. Louis the head coach and general manager in Gatineau. I spoke with Louis Robitaille about him recently. And Louis just said, look, this kid knows what he is. He's not going to be a power play guy. He's going to be a third pairing, steady, eddy kind of player. And increasingly teams want that on their back end. They, I think teams are, the pendulum swung a little bit for a few years towards the, the Sam Girards and the Adam Foxes and, it does almost start to feel in conversations I'm having, like teams just don't want to take the small defenseman uh, and teams want that, that St. Louis blues blue line of, of a few years ago, right. Where everybody was just huge. Yeah. Even Tampa now. I think you'll see the Maverick Lamoureux, the Lion Bishops, the Noah Warrens, those kids are going to go early because of that. 
on the on the same token, if we did a redraft of last last year's draft, who's the highest riser? It's Olin Zellweger, right? A, yeah. a five foot nine yeah. defender who is absolutely a first rounder and a do over, and teams are just obsessed with him and think the world of him. So you gotta you you can't write those kids off, but there's there's definitely a balancing act that teams are trying to strike with those kids. And I think there's a good chance that we're having the same conversation about Olin Zellweger next year that we're uh, about Lane Hudson next year that we're having about Olin Zellweger right now. So it's a, it's a fine line. Well, that's awesome. We're excited to see where he goes in our mock draft, which Scott's going to join us for. And I just got a couple more for you. Of course, you're already following him on Twitter, Scott C. Wheeler, fantastic content at the athletic with our best friend of the show, Ian Mendez as well. So we always like to give shout outs to the the athletic. Oh, he's absolutely unreal. We feel bad though. We got to finally shake his hand, meet him in person. So he could officially become a real friend of the show, even though you never swung by radical road. So I'm still holding that against you. That to say, and now, and now I'm not an East Ender anymore. And uh, you're, hey, not, you're not uh, an East Ender I'm, either. I'm a West coast, not West coast. I'm West a middle, coast. middle of the country. <laughs> and actually my final question has to do with just down the road. As I point here, Dylan James, are the Sens taking him at Ooh. 39 or are they going to wait till the end of the second round? <laughs> It does feel like the Nodak is uh, the Nodak rift is is going to be present again. We only have one uh, left. We only I have know. one left. We need to. We Nodak doesn't rebuild; they reload, and we need to do the it, same it, thing with the prospects. That's absolutely true. Uh, I think it's quite possible. Dylan has Dylan had a great year and really impressed a lot of people. And again, just an honest, complete hockey player that the Sens typically like. Right? He's he's that guy. So. Uh, nothing, nothing that really thrills me about Dylan's game, but it's not hard to imagine him as a complimentary bottom six guy where if all goes well for him, he's a top player in college and then he's an AHLer and then someday he's a depth guy in the NHL and maybe for two or three years in his career, he gets to shotgun in a top six line as kind of a, a third best player kind of thing. Like that's the, that's what you hope for him. Kind of the Zach Hyman yeah. uh, career path, very different player than Hyman, but that's, that's kind of what you imagine for, for a player like Dylan James. And, th- and I think that's what he would hope for himself. I don't think he sees himself as I'm going to be a star player in the NHL. He just thinks if I can be a good player at every level, I might give myself a chance kind of thing. So uh, the Sens love those good players at every oh, yeah. level who just work their way into the mix. Right. And, and he feels like that. And obviously the Nodak connection, is real whether i mean i'm sure the signs would tell you it's not but it is a <laughs> there there are just certain connections in in these leagues um uh, with with some of the teams it's it, they definitely like what the program does there with their players and for good reason they they've got a heck of a track record there it's just interesting it's, it's not only nodak they have their favorite spots in 2020 they took two players from brandon ridley greg and cole reinhardt they've taken two yeah. players from uh, to pair eels with Lassie Thompson and Roby Jarventi. Saving on travel costs, Ross. Yeah, there you go. There you <laughs> go. No doubt. Uh, what I was going to say, though, about Ian, I felt bad because when we met him at the game, he's like, oh, I'll meet you guys in the concourse, end of the first period. Send score with 30 seconds left in the period, so he missed a goal. And then they scored a minute yeah. into the second. We were still chatting. So we caused him to miss two goals that game. So sorry about that, Ian. But, yeah, Scott's got great work in the athletics. So does Ian. Well worth the subscription. Corey Prodman as well is going to join us on the show soon. Pillsy, I think you wanted to ask about goalies because what the hell, man? We had so much fun last year talking about two first-rounders. I had to go way too far down the list. 
Yeah, we're a goalie-friendly show, so we wanted to cover some goalies here. And as we mentioned, we we uh, did a top 64 prospect uh, countdown ourselves. Not one single goalie. What like is is there any explanation to this? Like, it, does that COVID gap year play a, a part here? Like, what's going on here, Scott? That might be part of it. Uh, goalies are typically slower to develop yeah. and you lose that year and it just has a more pronounced impact on them getting to that top level that's required to be a first or a second round pick as a goalie. Um, but I also just think it's a down year. I think even if ever, all things were equal last year, I don't think the kids who are okay. at the top in this class would have worked their way up much higher. Uh, they just don't have that sort of star quality in this group. And yeah, I mean, if you you guys know my list, but my top 100 for the very first time in doing this in nine years, my top 100 didn't have a single goalie. First so, time? First time. Wow. Very, very first time I didn't have a goalie on my list. So You could throw Pelzi uh, and I in at 101 if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the two the two consensus guys, if you will, are Tyler Brennan and, and Tobias Leinenen. Right. I like Brennan better. Brennan's a WHO kid who's got a decent track record and was better than his numbers this year and played on a bad team. So uh, there, there's something there with Brennan. Uh, but Linenin, I don't see it. Linenin six foot five and 233 pounds, which wow. would make him the Already fourth Leonard size. Before, yeah, the fourth heaviest goalie in the NHL this year. Only Stolars, Frederick Anderson, and Lanner were bigger than that this year, and that's uh, at his age. He, he's going to get heavy. He's going to be 240 probably, right? So um that that does worry me I some teams see that and they love that they love that he's just massive but I think he's going to struggle to move in the net as as things progress here and if he can't keep weight off could become a real issue for him just playing at that weight long term so uh probably wouldn't I mean there's appeal there but probably wouldn't take him unless it's like a late round pick and he's going to be gone in the second or third round uh, the goalies I actually like in this draft class are, are the tiny guys. There are a few small goalies in this draft that I'm really excited about. Uh, Hugo Havlid uh, yeah. out of Sweden, who was that won the goaltender of the year award at the J20 level there, and then also won the goaltender of the tournament award at U18s, was a star from start to finish, unflappable in the crease this year. Like he just didn't get beat uh, and stole that game. Stole Well, stole both of the final two games, made 40 plus saves in the semi in the semis against Finland and then did the exact same thing against Team USA. And increasingly, those guys are proving people wrong. I I think for a while, everybody thought that the NHL goalies had to be 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". And now who are the kids who are coming up and surprising people and teams are getting good value out of? It's Devin Levi, who's 5'11". I mean, look at UC Soros. Yeah, Devin would have had my vote for for, uh, the Hobie Baker this year. Uh, Dustin Wolf was mm-hmm. a star in the WHL and arguably the best goalie in the AHL this year was Stockton, another five foot eleven soaking wet, right? Kind of thing. Uh, and UC Saros, obviously, those three kids uh, are, are legit. And I think Hugo has a chance to do the same. And there, there are a few other names in this draft that I like that are smaller. Brett Groshu of the London Knights, another team that the Sens have not shied away from picking players from. Yeah. Uh, Brett Groshu with the London Knights comes to mind. Havlid, I already mentioned. Sergey Ivanov, another small goalie who plays in, in Russia. I mean, the Russians oh. are... Since haven't tricky. drafted out of Russia since 2005. Only Igor, yeah. and he was playing in Cape Breton. Yeah, so... Crazy. Yeah, and if, if there's a year that they're not going to do it, it's going to be this year. So Yeah, Pills and I were... 
we're talking about Moro Shashenko and they're like, they haven't drafted out of Russia in 16 years. Now this is the year we got to do <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not going to happen. So yeah, but uh, I would keep an eye on Hugo Havlin to be the, the goalie who maybe surprises people. He's not going to be the first goalie picked. He might be the third or fourth goalie picked. But he, he if I were to have a goalie on my list, Havlin would have been the guy. Amazing. And his uh, twin brother, we we already profiled yep. as a defenseman. Yes. Yeah. Even yeah. Their, their dad played for the Atlanta Thrashers. So they've got the bloodlines that we know the Sens covet as well. Awesome, Scott. We really, really appreciate this. Always fantastic insight as always. And glad that we can get on the raft together, swim under the bridge, and we'll have you back on soon as long as you're willing. So really appreciate this, man. Yeah, would love to, guys. Cheers. All right. Thanks to Scott Wheeler for joining us from The Athletic. As always, you got to check out his stuff at the, at the Athletic. If you're not already subscribed there for Ian Mendez, great articles, you got to check out Scott Wheeler's stuff uh, also, especially with the draft coming up here. He's one of the top guys. He does so much research. And what I like really about Scott Wheeler, too, is he doesn't just kind of look at the numbers and the and the data. He does a lot of deep dives on these players' personal lives. Like a lot of, uh, if you go through his rankings, there's players where he's interviewed them, their family members, coaching staff of their junior teams, etc. Just to find out more about the person behind the hockey player, too. And that adds a little more intrigue to where they're going to get drafted on uh, the big day coming up here. It's this week. I can't believe it. It's finally here. The draft will be happening on July 7th. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have the Locked On NHL Network is going to be doing a draft show. I will be a part of that with Locked On Islanders, Gil Martin. So you're going to want to check that out when that comes. And Ross is away, but I will be doing Locked On Now reactions when, (laughs) if, the Sens make their pick at seventh overall. They still have the pick, so that's what we're going with for now. And uh, part of me kind of hopes they keep the pick just selfishly because we've done so much work covering this draft. And if we do all that work and then the first day of the draft, the pick's traded and we uh, we don't get to dive in on a new prospect in day one, that'd be a little bit disappointing. But hey, I'm, uh, I'm open for any, any news. Like, give us something here. And the Ottawa Senators... They did give us something. Was it uh, Josh Norris extension? No. Was it uh, some more rumors around the league? Yes, as uh, Elliot Friedman once again kind of tied the Ottawa Senators to Claude Giroux. So fingers crossed that that's still going to happen. Claude Giroux still doing his research in Ottawa, maybe. I'm not sure. But... There were some hirings that were much needed. A lot of uh, Sens fans, we've been worried about, okay, they need to add to the front office. And what did they do? They let go of Pierre Maguire and uh, assistant general manager Peter McTavish ends up leaving the organization. So they've done more subtracting than they have addition, unfortunately. But now that changes as there are two new assistant general managers one we know very well especially with draft season uh, around the corner and in the thick of things Trent Mann previously the team's chief amateur scout has been promoted and he's still going to continue to do his scouting duties which I'm relieved of because I feel like that's where he is best and he's done uh, scouting for the Ottawa Senators for quite some time now and in Trent Mann we trust as the Sens have uh, kind of coined that term and he's going to be adding player development roles as well And a familiar name, Bonus, but not Rick Bonus, 
Ryan Bonus, the former director of professional scouting for the Pittsburgh Penguins and son of Rick Bonus, was hired as assistant general manager. Now, he's mostly going to be looking at uh, contracts and he's going to be the general manager of the Belleville Senators. So it's interesting that uh, the Senators decided to promote from within with Trent Mann. That's probably a good move. I think a lot of people were expecting something similar like that to happen. And they go with uh, so- someone a classic sends uh, the son of uh, someone they know very closely in uh, in Rick Bonus or sorry Ryan Bonus as the assistant general manager, mostly looking after the Belleville Center. So it's good to get some news in that front. Was that number one on Pierre Dorian's checklist? No. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Even probably not. But hey, you got to get things done. So now they've got Dylan Gambrell signed. Thank God for that. And they've got two new assistant general managers. So at least things have been bolstered up a little bit. We're still going to be waiting on news as it seems like lots of other teams are getting busy. Tampa with the big Nick Paul extension trading uh, Ryan McDonough. Teams are are trying to get their stuff in order for the offseason. The Ottawa Senators need to do the same. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Scott Wheeler today. That's all I've got for today's show. For Brandon Piller, for Ross Levitan out in Croatia, thanks for listening to the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. 